You artists have a special relationship to beauty. Beauty, like truth, brings joy to the human heart. Beauty is an invitation to savor life and a dream of the future. Beauty is a key to the mystery and a call to transcendence. Beauty is the vocation bestowed on you by the Creator. And the gift of artistic talent. None can sense more deeply than you, artists. Ingenious creators of beauty that you are. That beauty will save the world. Welcome back to Letter to Artists, brought to you from the vault at John Paul the Great Catholic University in Southern California. This podcast is inspired by the beloved St. Pope John Paul II's Letter to Artists hoping to unite a community of creative Catholics to encourage one another to use our artistic talents to impact culture for Christ. I'm your host, Bailey Garland. Today, our guest, Brother Elijah McClellan, is a member of the Congregation of the Legionaries of Christ, a religious order of priests serving the church all throughout the world. So he is phoning in with us all the way from Rome. So I feel super blessed to have him join today to talk about writing. He is actually a published author and he will be sharing with us about his fantasy series. And I just can't wait to hear kind of his process and and everything that kind of came with his discernment process and then the writing alongside it and all these things. So before we jump right in, I'm going to read our letter to artist quote. Overseeing the mysterious laws governing the universe, the divine breath of the creator spirit reaches out to human genius and stirs its creative power. He touches it with a kind of inner illumination, which brings together the sense of the good and the beautiful. And he awakens energies of the mind and heart, which enable it to conceive an idea and give it form in a work of art. So we enter into our conversation in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome brother Elijah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you were able to join us and we were able to figure it out with the time change and everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it can get a little bit complicated at times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're here and I'm so happy to to have you. Now, you were just telling me right before this that it's actually a big feast for for the Legionaries today, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. Today is... uh... Well, the day at least that we're recording this is September 15th, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, who is actually the patroness of the Legion. So, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a, for us, we celebrate it like a, a solemnity, a, a big feast for us. No? So, um, I actually just had the chance a little bit before recording, uh, coming here for this. I had the opportunity to go to St. Peter's Basilica, and there I made a special visit to the Pieta, um, kind of going to the mother of sorrows on the feast of the mother of sorrows. So <gasps> it's a, it's a very special day for sure. Oh, wow. That's, Oh, how special. That's so cool. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're pretty close to the, to St. Peter's Basilica, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're blessed to be very close by. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my gosh. Well, well, now that everyone's curious, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? So, well, yeah, as you said, I'm Brother Elijah McClellan. Uh, I am one of five children, uh, actually the middle of five children. Um, and I, I, was born in, I was born in New Hampshire, but uh, my dad joined the Army when I was 10, so I'm kind of from all over the place. Uh, I've never lived in California. I've only ever been there at the airport once, so I don't think that counts. Unfortunately, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I've, I've had the, the great grace of having a really, a really beautiful family, uh, obviously imperfect, just like, just like any family now. 
um, but a really good family that uh, has brought me up in the faith and uh, really just prepared me for life and, and so many different ways that I think each year, every day, I realize more and more. Um, and so, yeah, after, after my high school, I, after my high school and a lot of discernment, I should be clear, <laughs> I, I decided to join this congregation, the Legionaries of Christ, um, and have actually yesterday was the, the five year anniversary of me entering the novitiate. Oh, so, wow. um, so yeah, now I'm, I'm about five years in, still got about seven more years in initial formation uh, until ordination that is. Um, and then whatever the Lord has planned for me after that. So yeah, I've got, got a lot of things going. Thanks be to God. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a bit about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, praise God and congratulations on that hitting that five years. That's exciting. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I was just yesterday, I was realizing that if I were in the situation of my father, um, at this age, he had one child that was almost four and another child that would have been four days old. And so uh, kind of five years for me puts things in perspective that, yeah, I've been here for a little bit, but I'm definitely don't feel like I'm ready for, <laughs> I would be ready for having any children or anything. That's crazy <laughs> to realize that. And, and each one of us, the Lord has his plans and puts us in our place where we need to be, when we need to be there. Right. Oh my gosh. That's, that's, that's hilarious. Did you tell your dad that? <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, do you want to have your mind blown? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's hilarious. Well, okay. So we've got a little bit now about you. How about your writing story? So when did you begin writing books or writing in general? Well, um, it's actually an interesting question because I wouldn't call myself an early writer, but rather a late <laughs> one because <laughs> Uh, I had always, I mean, I've always thought about different story ideas, you know, it'd be cool to do this or to do that. And um, I, I, I don't know, I've always been fascinated by, by literature and, and movies and, and all of that, no? Um, but it wasn't until I was in the novitiate, so that would have been like late 2018, um, that I was there discussing uh, literature with, with one of the other brothers who was with me. And he was talking about the series that he had been reading that at the end, one of these characters who, you know, kind of goes through this whole arc from being this, this kind of really gruff, angry sort of person and then ends up giving himself. Uh, he, he told how in the story, after that moment of redemption, it turns out that that redemption wasn't even there because the character actually flew off on his dragon with his girlfriend into the sunset. <laughs> and so, so then we started talking about this and be like, okay, well, like, what are the virtues? What are the messages that books are telling today? Mm. And is that good? Is that bad? You know, where, where are the strengths and where are the weaknesses? And after discussing that, we said, well, what if, what if we write something? Um, so we, we hit the storyboard and, uh, started planning all sorts of different ideas of what we could do. And uh, in the end, I settled on the story that, that I've been working on telling for the past two books and am in the process of, of continuing, uh, which is uh, my fantasy series. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting story because it's one that I never thought would happen. I had always seen these stories and been sort of daunted by the idea of, of even trying um, and it wasn't until I decided to pick up the pen 
uh, or, or more accurately pick up the keyboard <laughs> and, uh, and start writing that I realized, okay, I might not be, I might not be Tolkien, but I can do something at least, at least, you know, put in my little bit that I could. And that's beautiful. You know, it, like the Lord, you just got to put in your two cents, right? And then the Lord will multiply it. So, um, how had you always been interested in like the fantasy side of things? Um, and, and was it easy for you to pick that genre for, for your series or did that take some thought? Um, I would say it was, it was rather easy. I, I have always been interested in, in fantasy. Um, yeah, really for about as long as I can remember, I grew up, uh, reading Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and, um, watching Star Wars, which I mean, it's always sci-fi. Um, you know, for all of those sorts of things that that's, that's my childhood. Um, and Lord of the Rings is one of my, <laughs> one of my obsessions. <laughs> so once it, once I came to the actual idea of, of writing a story, I, I mean, the, we went through a lot of different stories, this other brother and I, when we were discussing different op- uh, ideas. Um, but really the one that stuck out to me in the end was a, a fantasy story. Um, and, and yeah, that's what I decided to develop. And uh, I definitely, I definitely think it fits me more than, uh, than most of the other genres that I, I could have tried to dip my feet into. Why would you say that? Why do you think it fits you better? I would say that there's certain, with each genre, there's obviously certain uh, opportunities that it opens up to you. Um, for example, sci-fi, it just really unlocks your, your ability to just create these other worlds and universes and, and reality in a, in a really what if situation, very futuristic, uh, generally speaking, you know? Um, but also it has its own limitations that, you know, it, it puts you in this oppor- in this situation where you kind of have to build from ground zero and, I mean, anything, anything can be questioned, which is, again, it's, it's a great pro, but it's also, I mean, at some time, at some point, it can also be a sort of weight on the author. Whereas for me, I find that fantasy, something where it's, it has its, it has itself really shaped, uh, set up, I guess, in, in reality, while at the same time giving the author a lot of opportunity, a lot of freedom to take it where they, where they see it going, though. No? So it has that sort of, that, that really kind of grandiose opportunity for creating whatever you want, whatever world you want, but at the same time being so grounded in reality, which is ultimately what I, I want to do is have this book that, that transcends reality while not leaving reality behind. So I guess for that, yeah. I don't know if that's complicated or not. Yeah. <laughs> that's really, no, that's really interesting. Like that last line that you said there, the tra- like transcending reality without leaving reality behind is really powerful because I know that can be kind of, um, problematic in in what stories we pick up and things like that I I've heard people talk about certain novels and and certain you know movies or whatever and kind of in the grander Catholic discussions about about Harry Potter about Disney about all those different types of things and and I think that's usually a big conversation is the the absence of reality or or rejecting reality um so that's really interesting. Um, but entering into your stories, so I forgot to clarify this with you before the interview. So please correct me if I'm wrong. But your series is is called Avalon, right? And then you've got your two books, which I didn't ask you for the pronunciation, so I'd like you to just tell everyone what they are. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Yeah. So the okay. the series that I'm writing is is Avalon. Um, 
and that's not named after the Toyota car. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think it's Toyota. Um, that's uh, it comes from Arthuriana, from stories about King Arthur, um, which my books deal with. Um, so that's the that's the series title. And then yeah, the first book is called Avalon Thercrow, and then the second one is is Avalon Brennius. Um, and so if you want to know what that means, you have to read the book because it <laughs> takes quite a while to explain what they are because ultimately it's, it has to do with the story and, and different elements that I that I created for it. You know? um, but yeah, so I, I decided to set this my, my series up within the context of, uh, of Arthuriana, of this world of Arthur, uh, King Arthur. Um, but I, because I, it's always fascinated me, kind of the idea of, Arthur, right, who dies. I don't know how familiar people are with the idea, but no, he, he dies and is taken off to this island of Avalon. And then there is kind of set aside to uh, kind of await almost his, his second coming when he'll come at Britain's greatest need. Uh, that's how the stories go. And so I've, I've always been fascinated by this idea of, well, what did it look like after he left? Uh, what happened after he went to the Isle of Avalon? Um, and so my stories, in uh, I guess, take that sort of as the basis of this post-Arthurian world. And it's obviously um, very, well, I guess not obvious, but it, it's very fantastical in many ways. And I, I try to treat it more as uh, separate from, the, from re- our real world um, while also being grounded in reality. So it's not like you're going to be reading about England or anything. But um it's, uh, that's kind of the context there of, of my stories is this, this world after Arthur and what are the struggles and the challenges that come up uh, in the centuries following his, his death. Does it um, follow a single like boy or man or young girl or what's kind of the lens that it's told through? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so really the first story that the first book that I wrote was... Um, really an experiment um so when i start when i first came up with the story the first story that i came up with was for the second book and it kind of deals with some some bigger themes and uh just in general is a grander scale and i was like okay i've never written anything before maybe i should start with something simpler so i kind of pulled uh, sort of a reverse origin story i was like well what if i tell the origin story first and then I can actually delve into the story. And then that gives me an opportunity to practice um, my writing skills and how to, you know, how to write a book, how to publish it, all that sort of stuff. And then, and then be able to work on the next one, which I felt like deserved its place in a bit more of a, a firm foundation. So, so yeah, the first one follows the story of, of a young boy, just a, a 12 year old boy. Um, and it's very, I don't know. You could almost think of it as a sort of how to train your dragon sort of story. That's oh, a you know, cool. small town. This, um, I mean, there aren't any dragons in there, but it's a small town. There's, there's just him and his family and the trials that come to them that ultimately pull him into this bigger world, which then little by little you're introduced into. And as you're introduced into the, in the, in the books that follow, as you're introduced into those, uh, well, grander, grander parts of the world, you are also introduced into, into other characters. So, for example, in, in my second book, uh, I would say he shares just about 50-50 uh, the book with a female character um, that 
it, well, yeah, that is very tied up in the in the struggles of, of the second story. So it, it's starting to grow little by little. And ultimately, my idea is to have this sort of, um, I mean, to steal the words of, of Tolkien, to have this sort of fellowship that then ultimately comes together for, well, what I have planned for the future. Oh, my gosh, that's so intriguing. I'm like, I'm so excited. It's kind of funny because I, so I'm 24 and I, got really into my Catholic faith probably about my freshman year of college and I had never seen Lord of the Rings and I felt like I didn't have my full Catholic conversion until last year <laughs> I sat down and with my friends and we watched all of them so I feel like all of this the fantasy stuff it just it kind of just I don't like you said it, it transcends and and I, even saying the word fellowship I think that's so funny we use that in our Catholic vocabulary I had never thought about it until just now and yeah. I wonder like <laughs> how much it stemmed honestly simply from lord of the rings since we use we use that word so much now we're gonna have fellowship and food and like whatever and and i just think that's really funny but um yeah definitely <laughs> so um you kind of were diving into this a little bit but um because you said you you started with the origin or you you were starting with that broad theme and then it led you to do the origin story first and then dive back into the second novel um so mm -hmm. but what was your like can you speak more about the process of sitting down to write those two books? Was it um, like just going into a little bit more detail? Like how did that, was it talking with your friend? Did, it, did he help you? Was there a, like a peer editing process or anything like that? Yes. Um, so it's really interesting. Uh, and I'd like to preface this for any writers who are listening. I give you like full, uh, full freedom to totally disagree with everything I say. Because almost every time I listen to people's writing thing, uh, kind of their writing process, they always say it as if it's a law. And I almost never follow what they say. Um, <laughs> I, I think I'm doing at least okay. You know, maybe I'm not the greatest writer ever, but I think I'm surviving. So definitely this is just at least what works for me. But um, in that writing process, definitely just starting off with um, the, the big story was really, really helpful um, because I, I thought of kind of the big stories in my life. What are the stories that have touched me the most? And also looking at culture, what are the stories that have touched culture the most? And those are things like, well, I mean, first of all, obviously the Bible, no, the, that the greatest story ever told. Um, and then we're looking at the Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, um, even Star Wars. Um, again, stories that really touched me a lot, no? Um, and what did I see in those that made them so special? And I, one of the things was the fact that they all knew where they were going. So for me to start off just with an idea of what's the big picture, obviously as I go, I fit so many puzzle pieces in that I've been missing for years um, that I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it. But at least I had kind of the big curtain idea of what was going to happen. Um, and then I could go little by little putting in the details. Um, so that's what I did at first. And then it was, that was especially me and that other brother. And then once I went into the actual writing process, really for me, um, what works the best is just finding whatever time I can and, and just writing as much as I can. And I always write in sequential order, um, kind of just going through well, the order of, of the story, because I feel like that helps me a lot to well, really take part in what's going on in the story. Um, and so be better to, to express what, what's going on. Uh, but really every single time it's been a little bit different because, well, like for example, for my first book, I was a novice. 
So for those who maybe aren't so familiar with what that would mean, it's a lot of detachment. Um, like that period of my formation was a lot of detachment. I didn't have a phone. I didn't have a computer. Uh, had very scheduled uh, day uh, with very little free time. Um, and so, like, for example, in that period of time, when I was writing my first book, I would basically just write it on these, like, little 15-minute <laughs> breaks in between whatever classes or prayer times or uh, dinner and whatever was going on. No, just every, every free moment I had, I would just go to one of the community computers and just write whatever I could and save it and then keep going like that. Whereas then my second book I wrote in, I wrote almost the entire thing in about the space of a week. Oh, um, wow. When I just had, I had, I mean, like the rough draft, that is. Um, <laughs> because I just, we, we finished our exam period and we had a little break uh, right after Christmas. And in that, like in that one week that we had a break, <laughs> I basically only, I mean, on top of being with my community and, and prayers and such, I, I just wrote, that was all I did. Uh, and then my third one has, well, the one that I'm working on right now has been uh, a much longer process because I started it when I was in the U.S. and then I moved here to Rome and had to get used to how things work here and and finally got into things and started writing my story again. So every time it's been a little different in that period, but then comes the hardest, well, at least for me, the hardest part, the part that I, I dread the most, which is editing, because I'm something of a perfectionist. And while my books might not be perfect, um, I always try to at least give them uh, at least some visual perfection and grammar and all of that. So I'm pretty rigorous with myself when it comes to all of that. And I do all of the editing myself. Um, so it's just reading my book again and again and again and again. So I feel like, okay, I don't see anything anymore. Um, and then after that, it's, it's really just the process of, of putting it together, uh, making sure it all looks, looks nice, uh, designing the cover and, and then I, I've just published them on, on Amazon self-publishing, which is uh, really, really easy. And I mean, the, the nicest benefit is you don't have to pay for anything because they just print it when people, when people buy it. So I can order copies for myself or my family can buy copies, but you know, I don't have to pay, um, you know, some publisher to print whatever a hundred copies that so at least right now I don't have the audience for it. No, so um, <laughs> that's a, that's a bit about my process. And, a lot of, for me, the most, the most fun is really the planning part, uh, just beforehand, uh, and, and then actually writing the story. And then kind of comes the tedious part, which I feel like every author kind of feels the same as, you know, the, the editing part. Um, so yeah, I think, I guess one other point that's interesting, and uh, I've noticed it for all of, my, all of my books, is that most of my inspiration comes and when I'm in prayer. And mm. sometimes that's probably a bad thing because maybe I get a little distracted. Um, <laughs> other times, on, and other times, honestly, I, I really think it's just kind of inspiration from the Holy Spirit, kind of helping me to well, really take advantage of the gifts that He's asking me to, mm. to form and to use. And so, in moments of in Eucharistic hours or uh, during longer retreats or different moments like that, frequently I'll just be praying about something totally unrelated to my stories and then just kind of almost like a lightning bolt. It'll just be like, Oh my goodness, what if I do this? And then I'll just have to like write it in a notebook and then try to push it aside and not think about it anymore until I have like the proper, you know, the proper space to be thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for me, that's been something actually that's been really exciting. Cause lots of times it's like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with a certain idea. 
And then I'll just take it to prayer and I'll be like, Hey God, you know, you got any ideas? And usually, <laughs> usually he, pull, he pulls through. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. And, and it's so right. Like God meeting us right where we are. And, and, and it, it is like, he gave you that gift. So the fact that he wouldn't talk to you about it makes a lot of sense or inspire you through the Holy Spirit. That's so beautiful. And like you said, like writing it down and putting it aside. And then if the Lord calls it back to your heart, then you talk about it a little bit more. And, (laughs) but um, that's awesome. I, I, this is so cool. It's just interesting to to hear all your process and how you balance um, kind of this, this call to write and just your duties in, in the seminary life, right? As you're vocational call in, in, in the seminary, but you still um, can develop these personal gifts, right? They don't just go away or anything right. like that. Um, because I think that's a big lie in society, right? When when people are called to a religious life, they think that it, it's a surrendering of gifts, but it's not, it's not like you're ever, never going to use them again. So did you, do you have any thoughts or yeah. comments kind of on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, firstly, and quite frankly, if I had never joined religious life, I would never have had that conversation that led me to pick up the pen. Right. So would I have begun writing? I mean, maybe at some point, but um, I mean, really, I like now I consider that to be a huge part of who I am is there's an author. That's a, one of my greatest ways of relaxing. Um, one of the best ways for me to express myself because I, I'm kind of uh, not so great at expressing myself, you know, exteriorly to other people and such. And even sometimes to myself, but when I just start writing and uh, writing poems and such, like it, that really just to me opens up a lot, uh, a whole new world. And these are all things that I really don't feel like I would have even encountered if, if, I hadn't, if I hadn't begun this path that the Lord was calling me to. And I've heard from a lot of people who already had that path going uh, in some shape or another of, of music, of, uh, of photography, of also of writing that, they always kind of enter, and like you said, it's it's still the surrendering of your gift, saying, "Lord, this is this is what I'm really passionate about, but I give it to you." And then maybe He's going to ask you to just put, totally leave it aside. But usually, what He does is He asks you to leave it aside for a little bit, and then He's like, "Okay, pick that camera back up, pick that instrument back up, pick that pen back up, and go to work for me," because now you're an artist but you're my artist mm. and so I, I i just feel like that's from all the experiences that i've ever heard it it would i would totally agree with you that it, it is a lie if you hear that oh you know once you join the seminary once you start following the lord you're you're not allowed to develop your gifts uh and your your loves that's that's totally false um in fact you're you're rather encouraged to um my my rector the the, the priest who is in charge of in charge of me during um, a, a period of my formation where actually I was studying the humanities, uh, the liberal arts. He was one of the, one of the greatest helps for me in my writing process. He read my first book uh, before I published it um, and gave me uh, some guidelines, kind of like some, some pointers, and then uh, gave me permission to go ahead and, and publish it. And then he read my second book as well. And, and just gave me like this super enriching conversation about um, kind of what he had seen in my book and how it compared to the first and the uh, kind of in the, in the good and the bad. And I mean, all of these things are like, I mean, he's a priest, he's my superior and he's very encouraging me and, and helping yeah. me to grow and develop my gifts. And so, yeah, to- that would totally be a false, uh, a false belief to, to think that you can't, uh, again, 
with permission, with following your superior and, and what the Lord's really asking of you. Um, but for sure, he asks you to not to bury your talent, but to, uh, to multiply it. Oh, that's, yeah, it's so beautiful. And I think even in, even in just like the laity world too, I think that's a really big struggle that people have is if they give, you know, if they offer it to the Lord that he's going to, I think we, we think he's going to steal it from us or something. And it's like, well, it's already his, you can't really steal it. (laughs) But it's like, there's this lie that the enemy just plants in us a fear of like, oh my gosh, like, I can't share this with the Lord. I can't really tell the Lord how much I really enjoy this thing. And a lot of it, I think, stems from our maybe disordered, um, like our vanity or our pride, right? Like we we place it above right. God. We're like, I love this thing more than God. Um, but it's also, I think, yeah, a lie that the enemy places in us to continue to push God away from us. So that way we we can't give him the gift and then he can use it in the fullness of what it's supposed to be. Um Right. And so I think that just so, so thanks for sharing about that because I, I think that's um, something that, that the, the world kind of cultivates and, and it's definitely a falsity. So, okay, we're kind of at the halfway point. So I want to shift the conversation and just remind everyone of our JP2 quote. Um, so this is, this is the words from, from Letter to Artists by St. John Paul II. Overseeing the mysterious laws governing the universe, the divine breath of the creator spirit reaches out to human genius and stirs its creative power. He touches it with a kind of inner illumination, which brings together the sense of the good and the beautiful. And he awakens energies of the mind and heart, which enable it to conceive an idea and give it form in a work of art. So brother Elijah, after reading this, after receiving it, I just want to invite you to, for any reflections or any pieces of that, that, that struck your heart while reading it and just in a general sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, actually once, uh, once you let me know that actually I could, uh, participate in this, in this wonderful podcast, I, uh, I went ahead and, and reread the whole letter to, to artists. Oh, um, wow. Well, both, both John Paul II and also I read, uh, Benedict, which is also super powerful. Ooh. Um, but uh, so kind of just like reflecting on all of that. And then kind of this was, this quote comes towards the end um, when it's almost a sort of invocation of the Holy Spirit. And for me, it's just really kind of a powerful concept, right? To go back to the idea of us as artists. And you, you almost touched on it before when you were speaking of sometimes we kind of hold our art to ourselves and kind of think of it as, oh, this is mine. And that's true to a certain extent. Know that it's something that's very unique to me and um, be my art the greatest art in the world or the most humble, simple art in the world. No other artist will ever make something exactly like what I can make um, because I'm me and I have the gifts and the talents that I have. And at the same time, it's something that is really your we're all sharing in the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's, it's that same spirit who, who was flying over the nothingness, over the abyss, and, and called into existence everything, right? It's, it's that spirit which every time that we say the name of Jesus, that we pray anything, that really we do anything worth anything, it's that same spirit that gives us breath, that gives us that motivation. And so really just looking at this is, I don't know, this, 
this idea there of really just uniting ourselves to Christ, to God, because that's that's ultimately what God wants. And it's not that he wants us to have our art just be something kind of useless, um, but it's something that's really supposed to really touch the, the foundations of what it means to be human. And I think every artist, every real artist probably knows that feeling of having this this great idea that they're trying to get across and not knowing exactly how to do it. And that's because we're touching things that are beyond this world, are beyond mm. human experience. And in a very real way, we cannot express it. We cannot express it in any real way except through the Holy Spirit. And so, I don't know, it's just kind of, it's, it's that whole idea, that whole, it's that whole concept there that, human beings are always, we're seeking for more. We're seeking for, for what's next. What's, what's the purpose of me being here? Um, and what's, what's the earth and all the beauty in the earth and all the art in the earth, what's it really pointing to? And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to, to see that, to express that and to understand that. That's really beautiful. And I, as you were talking in, um, I just kept thinking when, when you said about the Holy Spirit, we, we don't know how to express ourselves except through the Holy Spirit or he's the one that helps us. And one of my favorite verses is, um, I don't know the exact verse, so I'm not even going to try, but the spirit intercedes for us in inexpressible groanings. That is one of my mm-hmm. favorite Bible verses ever. And I just think it's so true. And especially maybe, and maybe as an artist, I'm not, I never reflected on it in that way. Um, that resonates in me because I don't know how to express myself except through my art. A lot of times, whether that's, um, Mm -hmm. singing or, um, acting or any types of those different, the different mediums that we have, that's such a powerful statement for us as artists, because we're trying to, um, conceive of something that is an idea or isn't necessarily tangible, but but also is like we're making something like a feeling tangible, which is really difficult. Right. And, and I think that's so true though. It's like, we, we need the help of the Holy spirit to even understand what, what we're trying to get across or why we're creating this art or why we feel so deeply, so strongly um, and why we're choosing these colors. So I think that's, that's a really powerful reflection. And I, I can't wait to, I'm going to actually take that to prayer because I feel like um, that's really powerful. Um, so I had a thought, yeah, Oh, what were you going to say? Oh, yeah. I was just going to point out to just kind of along that same theme of what you're talking about, even that, that quote uh, that you mentioned about the Holy Spirit. It just reminded me of one of the quotes uh, from a little earlier on in, in the letters to the artist that, that I think kind of touches on the same theme where I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it was something like uh, JP2 is like, you know, artists, we, you know, we're, we're always, in, we're always searching for like the the hidden meaning of things mm-hmm. and the really powerful thing is when he's like and their torment is to succeed in, in expressing the world of the ineffable uh. like we like we succeed in doing that at times at expressing what we're trying to express but it's just something that's so far beyond that even still it's like you 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 conveyed something but like it's hard to i mean you can't even describe it because it's it's just it's something else it's it's, it's ineffable no so for me, that was also really powerful. And that's kind of that, the, the spirit expressing, you know, the, the, those groanings, you know, that, right. <laughs> the groanings of the artist, you know, like, oh my goodness, I just want to get this out there, this idea, this concept, whatever it is, this image. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> and that's, I, I do, I know the quote you're talking about. I think we've used it in an episode before, but I can't remember which one. I mean, obviously I've certainly read it. Um, 
but it's the word torment and yeah, groanings that parallel. And even like, I'm mm -hmm. thinking of our students here and how often there's like a dissonance between the screenwriter and the director, because it's like, well, this is how it lives in my brain. And like, it's just hard to uh -huh. express it accurately as to what we're actually trying and we can get close, but I think that's the hidden mystery of it. That's like only in our Holy of Holies between us and God. And I think I love that. Like no one else will be able to see it except him mm -hmm. in the same way that we're seeing it. Um, and we try, like we try to communicate with our, with each other. And, and a lot of times praise be to God. Yeah. Only through the Holy spirit, are we able to like have those connections and, um, and praise God for our guardian angels who I, I always loved. I don't know. I'm thinking right now too, like when you can send your, your guardian angel before you to like help open the heart of someone else in difficult conversations or whatever, you know, they speak to their guardian angel. And I love that. It's like only through the divine, like, can we, can we fully art articulate and communicate with each other, which is, which is really cool. It just, again, r reminds us how reliant we are on God. Um, yeah, sure. So I was thinking with this quote, um, and I, you know, I haven't read your novels, but knowing that they're fantasy and, um, I love kind of this in, in his quotation, he says, overseeing the mysterious laws that govern the universe and awakening the energies of the mind and heart, just that language, um, it kind of just, it made me think of fantasy. And so I was just one, thinking, how does the genre of fantasy or your novels, how do they bring in Catholic themes? And whether that's that's directly or indirectly, because I feel like right now there's kind of um like, I feel like that phrase is a little risky, the energies of the mind and heart, because we've got a lot of new age stuff creeping into society. I mean, that's been mm -hmm. there forever, but um, just how, yeah. how can you kind of argue for this, like you were saying before the realities or like, you're talking about not separating it from reality itself, but I don't know, just commenting on, on how that can be married into our Catholic faith still. Yeah. So, and even, I mean, having already said a little bit about uh, kind of the origins of my, of my writing adventures, I think it uh, probably helps to give a bit of context and, and make my, my response a little bit easier in the sense that right, I started by asking myself, what it, what's the literature of today telling? Because every artwork, whether it wants to have a message or not, it always has one. And, you know, there's some art that, you know, their whole point is, you know, it has no message. But even by choosing to have no message, it has a, it has a message. You know, it's, it's impossible not to. Um, and especially when you're telling a story, it tells something. And... You can just tell a story, not even thinking about what the message is, but it's there. And so really reflecting on that, I was, I was thinking, okay, well, what do I, what do I want to do? Because I want to tell stories that are powerful and that really, really touch some of the problems, the, the, the challenges of our day, um, the challenges I've experienced and the challenges that I know others experience as well. And so how can I do that? What's the best way of going about it? And at least in this area, I feel like uh, just kind of, at least in my language, there's kind of two different roads you could take. You could either take, you know, the, the C.S. Lewis road, um, which is much more direct, much more obvious, um, at least in the sense of Christianity, you know, explaining these Christian truths in the context of fantasy, while also being totally, I mean, totally obvious about it. Or you can have the more, the subtler approach of Tolkien, um, which I have a feeling, based off of what I've said before, you can guess which I picked. Now, I decided that I would rather tell a story 
that's focused on the story and subtly and quietly whispers a truth that all of us have felt, all of us have experienced. And there's no need to be over the top about it. Um, it can just be like this, this constant thread. Every story has it. Every story has this, this little thread that you pick up whether or not you're paying attention. And so that's what I try to do. I, I try to, and I'm glad actually that you brought it up because it goes into my writing, uh, my writing process as well. One of the first things I try to do is ask myself, what's the point of this story? Like, okay, I have the general idea of what's going to happen, but before I even start writing it, ask myself, what's the point? Because if I don't know what the point is, then it's not going to come across. Um, and it might just be this kind of confused mix that people finish my story, but like, what the heck am I supposed to do with it? Um, but if you have in your mind kind of this, this is what I'm working towards, then as you write the story, totally uh, independent of you know, trying to force it, it makes itself present. Um, so that's what, that's what I'd say, you know, these Catholic themes of, of charity, of respect. Uh, I'd say like particularly in, in my second book, I, I really had this idea of kind of the dignity of the person, um, of each individual person. And just kind of in little, very small ways, it just kind of, so to speak, rears its head. Now it, it kind of makes itself present. Um, and I think, again, I think, at least for me, fantasy is, is one of the greatest ways to do that because you can tell these stories that are so, um, I guess, so extremely interesting, fascinating, um, because it's this world that, that we don't have, while at the same time being presented in, in the context of a world we can understand. So it, it can, these messages that we, that we learn, it's, it's kind of, it's further away from us in the sense that it's this fantasy, but also we can recognize it because it's in this world that, that feels a bit like home, even though it, it might have different names and might have some different creatures that maybe we don't actually encounter, no, but. So I don't know. I feel like at this point I'm kind of going in circles, but I guess maybe that's a bit of an answer. Oh, that was great. And I think as you were you were talking, I was thinking too about um, how like in Lord of the Rings, right? It, and like you were saying, it, it feels a little, it's distant from us, but it's not. And I think, I think we need it to be distant in order to recognize it. Cause I think sometimes when things are too close to our face or we hold the mirror up too close, we can't really see the reflection. Mm -hmm. um, so like in Lord of the Rings, it's like, we don't have a golem creature on this earth or like we, we can almost see sometimes the ridiculousness of something, but then recognize uh -huh. it. We like, we do a really good job, right. Of like projecting onto movies and, and things like that. And, and just like that saying like, Oh, if the shoe fits, like <laughs> it's like, we can see certain things in, I, I think their absurdity. Um, but again, not being like we we're, ta I talked in another episode about um, things. Gosh, I think it was a, um, a painting one or something. I think, uh, I think it was with, yeah, with the one of the, one of the ones we just talked about. Um, it was like things being grotesque, not to be grotesque, mm -hmm. but to like point to a deeper truth or to, to still show the beauty in, in the grotesque. Um, and it doesn't mean like, right. Oh, blood for an example, like blood becomes beautiful or something like right. that. It's like, no, like the beauty right. of, right. Like the crucifixion is ugly and grotesque, but it's the beauty of the sacrifice and the love of a bloody death for us. And, um, right. and so I think that's interesting with, yeah, like with Gollum or, um, 
to be honest, Lord of the Rings, I that's about all I could say. I, I loved it, <laughs> but I would need to watch it all again to know to remember anything else. Um, well, maybe maybe you should do that. Yeah, I <laughs> should. Like, you you got to get your full Catholic experience by watching yeah. it again. Yeah, that's so I watched all the extended versions, and now I'm like, maybe I should try the other ones too. I don't know. But I've heard once you, once you watch the extended ones, you can't go back or something like that. Um <laughs> So anyway, I just think all of that to see like, okay, we can see how ridiculous it is, right? To like cling to this ring or whatever. And it's like, right. but then we can recognize those absurdities in ourselves and be like, oh, I, it's ridiculous that I'm clinging to this sin or clinging to the, like we were talking earlier about this gift instead of just letting it go and then letting it take me closer to Christ or seeing what happens in my life, making room and making that space for Christ. Um, right. And I think even... Sorry to interrupt. But, oh, no, that's you know, okay. Maybe, even easy, maybe an even easier way to look at it is even just the other way around. You know, every day we have examples from those around us of what we should and shouldn't live. You know, these, I mean, the great saints that walk among us. Um, and I certainly know that there are some of them there among you in the JP2. Uh, oh, yeah. I've met them. Um, and then also, you know, the troublemakers and all the people that's like, well, maybe I shouldn't act like that, right? We have those people around us. But because it's so close to home, so to speak, it, it can be really hard to, to, to see it with kind of this, this more reflective gaze, you know, this more um, inspired gaze. But when it's, when it's kind of presented to you in something that is familiar yet distant, that's when it really opens up to, okay, I can, I'm literally invited into this reflection by the very fact that it's something I'm familiar with but don't know. You enter into this this reflection, well, what is this? Is this supposed to be something that maybe I know? And then like, oh yeah, actually it's this ring that represents X, Y, and Z that, you know, maybe I should cast into the fire. Oh yeah. Um, oh, this is so cool. I just love talking. I love these conversations. Ah, um, <laughs> so <laughs> we, are, we are getting near the end of our interview, but I had two more questions I wanted to ask. First was, um, kind of just talking about all of this and we've been talking a lot about gifts and and things like that how has this gift of writing really illuminated your relationship with God obviously you've talked a lot about how you didn't even discover it until being here in seminary mm -hmm. um but and then it's popping up in prayer but can you just articulate a little bit more about how it's really either challenged or shaped or or um just really grown helped you grow in your relationship with God Honestly, I would say probably the most profound way that it's helped me is uh, helped me in my relationship with God is by at the same time helping me understand myself better. Because, and again, I, I reach out to all the artists out there, and I, I feel like they can uh, can probably relate with what I'm about to say, which is that as you write or as you whatever your art form is, and as you as you make that art. Even if it's something that's a life you've never lived and um, never expect to live, no, it's at the same time you're kind of expressing yourself somewhat. Um, you leave some of yourself on that page, and and so just that that experience of of writing and becoming more vulnerable with myself, um, understanding my emotions more, um, that's just really helped me a lot to to understand who I am, and and then. With that, it's just this, the whole world opens up and, and your relationship with God opens up. And, and now sometimes I'm there in prayer and I'm like, Lord, I, I have no idea what I'm feeling. And so then 
in the, in the context of prayer and as a prayer, I start to write a poem or to start to try to kind of write in a more creative way about whatever I'm experiencing. And, and then at the end of that, you know, I look back and I'm like, okay, like, I still don't know the exact word I'd put there, but you know, I, I just, in this conversation with you, I just wrote it out there. And uh, so I would say kind of that, just this, this ability that it, it gives you to, to know yourself and know how to express yourself has been one that's really, really helped me a lot. Um, and then, yeah, there's obviously, uh, I mean, like I touched on before, just the, the different moments where you kind of realize, okay, God's, God's with me as I'm writing, as I'm telling my story, because there just different things come across. And even when you see people read your work, which, I mean, for me, I haven't really done any serious promotion. I've just kind of shared it with some friends and little brothers and, and family. And when they read it and kind of just hearing them talk about it and um, how they see me in the book or uh, in one of the, some of the characters or, or what their reflections are on kind of the, the messages that it told them. And those moments for me, it just kind of brings like such this joy and kind of knowing, okay, like, you know, I just, by God's grace, was able to just share this, this really profound experience with someone else, this really profound part of myself with someone else. And anytime that happens, I think you know, it's, it's God's hand there helping, helping to do that. You no, know? uh, that Holy Spirit that we were talking about before. You no, know? um, so, so yeah, I would say those are maybe some of the the bigger ways that that I see that is just uh, really understanding myself more. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's so true. Like, as you said, for many artists, no matter their medium. And I think it goes back to that quote, just expressing inexpressible groanings. <laughs> we just learn how to communicate better hopefully with the holy spirit and guys is closer there um and then to touch on your promotion of the books we i'd love to link um the books in just the description of this episode so if you don't mind i would put the amazon links there in case anyone's super interested in reading them can you remind us of the names one once again for everyone yes so the first one's avalon faircrow um good luck spelling that avalon <laughs> like the car and thercrow t-h-e-r-k-r-o-l and from there you can find the rest or um you can also just in amazon you can just search my name and uh you'll find it so uh yeah it's, if anyone is interested in reading it i'd certainly be happy to hear any <laughs> any feedback too so that would be awesome. And so we'll definitely link those below. Um, but I do have one last question, not to promote the competition, but I would love to to hear your perspective just on your favorite novel and your favorite spiritual reading. <laughs> no, of course. Uh, anyone who holds that sort of stuff to themselves is holding their greatest treasure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, well, without a doubt, and by a million miles, The Lord of the Rings is the greatest. <laughs> Uh, for sure. Um, I've already talked about that and everybody already knows about that. So maybe I'll use this opportunity to talk about another really interesting book, um, which is maybe a little bit less famous. But it's this book called uh, Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn Waugh, which was written, I forget exactly, I think it was published in like 1945, like right before the end of the war. Um, and it's, it's this book that, I don't know, it, it tells this, it tells this story of this family, um, in England at that time period. Uh, and it, it's, it's so interesting how he does it. It has this most, has the most beautiful 
English in it. I mean, aside from the Lord of the Rings, um, has the most beautiful expression. And at the same time, it's this really broken family, this really broken story. Um, and it's only once you read through the whole way that you kind of realize how divine grace works. And so it's just a really interesting book that I think a lot of people don't know about. And even lots of times uh, it has these sorts of, it has a few themes, especially at the beginning of the book of even of homosexuality. Uh, so a lot of Catholics sometimes are like, oh, I shouldn't read that. But uh, it actually has a really, really powerful message about divine grace. Uh, and he says as much, the author says as much in the, in the introduction to the book. So that's a really interesting book to read. Mm. Um, Can you say the name one more time? Uh, uh, Bride's Head Revisited. Great. Thank yeah, you. It's uh, by Evelyn Waugh. And I guess for spiritual reading, to me, I am a storyteller and I am also a story uh, relater. <laughs> I don't know what the best term for that would be, but if I just read spiritual reading, that's just like, oh, you should be more humble and you know, whatever, this quote, that quote, like sometimes it's helpful, but for me, it's really the lives of the saints that help me the most. Yeah. So I would say really like any, any of those, one of the ones that touched me the most uh, was this book about uh, the Curie of Ars, uh, St. Jean-Marie Vianney. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's by, it's, it's by some French guy, something Trochu. I, I don't remember exactly the author, his name. But it's a, it's, it's a hefty read, but it, it just tells his whole life. Um, and it's, it's a really good biography. And from that, you, you realize, okay, well, I definitely don't want to just live off of moldy potatoes like he did. But it also really <laughs> inspires you to a lot of uh, kind of ask yourself, okay, how am I living my life? What am I giving the Lord? What am I holding back from him? And, uh, and what is he asking of me? So for me, and really any life of the same book, those are the ones that touch me the most. But that, that was definitely a really, a really powerful one. Oh my gosh. Well, Brother Elijah, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, it's just been such a joy to have you. I would, I would love to have you close us in a prayer. Yes, of course. Um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, Thank you so much for this opportunity to share our love of art. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to even have art, which is ultimately this, this expression of those realities, which only you can really fully see. And yet at the same time, you, you deigned to let us see a little glimpse of it. And not only to see a little glimpse of it, but to share with you in expressing it through beauty, through truth, and through all that is good, please help us and all artists to always join ourselves closer to you and to, to your work of divine revelation and also your work of divine redemption, because truly art has the power to save the world. And we ask this in a special way on today, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Father, Holy Spirit. Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, Brother Elijah. Thank you. This has been a blast. I'm so, yeah, this was great. And I, I'm so honored that you reached out and, and that we had you. And, oh, I just can't wait to see what the Lord keeps doing in your life. And, and I can't wait to re read your books. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks. Well, you'll have to let me know what you think. I and will. Including the criticisms. I'm still working on it. <laughs> Sounds good. I'll be sure to do that. All right. Thank you, Brother Elijah. No problem. God bless. And thank you all so much for joining us here today at Letter to Artists. For all of our listeners out there, if you are just tuning in for the to the podcast for the first time and want to check out more of our episodes, you've already found us on one of our platforms, but we are on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts now. Just type in Letter to Artists. You can follow um, updates and exciting behind-the-scenes photos and by following us on Instagram at Letter to Artists Pod. And we want to interact with you. We want to continue this gathering, this community of creative Catholics. So we want to hear your thoughts on the show or if you're a Catholic artist wanting to share your story in your art form, please, please, please reach out to me. Um, I would love to keep these conversations going. So Letter to Artists is proudly brought to you by John Paul the Great Catholic University, hoping to encourage you to use your talents to impact culture for Christ. I'm your host, Bailey Garland, signing off with some encouragement for your day. Be not afraid. You artists who perceive in yourselves this kind of divine spark. As poet, writer, actor, architect, sculptor, musician, feel the obligation not to waste this talent, but to develop it, to put it at the service of your neighbor and of humanity as a whole. May the beauty which you pass on to generations still to come be such that it will stir them to wonder. Society needs you, artists. The world in which we live needs beauty.